Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Steadfast Sermon Series, which looks at some of the different areas in our lives where we are called to be steadfast. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. And so I want you to take your Bibles and let's go to Matthew and chapter number uh, 17, Matthew 17. And uh, tonight we're going to uh, continue our series about being steadfast. And uh, tonight we're going to look at this idea of being steadfast in prayer and fasting. And as we come to the Word of God tonight, I just want to ask you, have you ever uh, tried to do the right thing, but you've tried it the wrong way? Um, I'm sure if I were to ask you, we've all been there. We've all been at the place where we've done or we're trying to do the right thing, but we're doing it in the wrong way. I'm thinking about maybe at the time of using using a, a shoe uh, to, to try to hammer in a nail, you know, something like that. Or maybe if you're like me, just a few weeks ago, uh, it was a Sunday morning. I came out and uh, came out to my truck. Of course, I usually leave the house. At that time, uh, leave the house about seven o'clock on a Sunday or seven fifteen, and and try to be over to church about seven thirty or so. But I got up and I was out walking to my truck, and man, it was one of those mornings that we still had the frost, and so my my windows were frozen over. And uh, man, the week before, I had broken my ice scraper, and so I'm sitting there like, man, I gotta get to church, I gotta get everything going. And you know what I did? I did the famous thing you've always done, pull out a credit card. And I pulled out a card and I started scraping my windows. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing, but doing it the wrong way. And uh, tonight, as we come into our text for the night, we're actually going to find the disciples uh, wanting to do the right thing, but we're going to discover them doing it the wrong way. And uh, it's found in Matthew 17, Matthew 17. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 17 and verse number 14, we read these words. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For I verily say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. And notice that last verse, verse number 21, where Jesus says this, How be it, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. How be it, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. The passage before us tonight, of course, takes place between Jesus and his disciples and another man and his son. And we discover that the disciples try to heal, but they can't. Jesus tells them uh, the reasons why. It's because of your lack of faith, but it's also because you've neglected this area of prayer 
and fasting. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. The disciples were trying to do the right thing, but Jesus points out that they were doing it the wrong way. And so tonight we're going to learn about this. And so let's pray again and just ask the Lord to, uh, to help us. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, um, why don't you just take a moment, just right where you are, right there in your home. And uh, let's just commit the time to the Lord. Why don't you ask God to speak to your heart tonight? Ask him, maybe it's a familiar portion of scripture, ask him to bring something new out to your heart tonight. And let's just commit this time to the Lord. Dear Lord, we come before you, and again, we thank you for your love and your care for us. And God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have, as Brian said a moment ago, to gather together online. We thank you for the technology that we're able to do this. Lord, I'm, I'm thinking even back 20 years ago, uh, Lord, if something like this would have happened, people would have not been able to really uh, gather like this. Lord, we're thankful that technology has allowed this and, and that you've allowed that. And so what I pray uh, tonight as we get into the Word of God, Lord, I pray that you use your word. I pray that you use the study that's gone into this. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Uh, Lord, you've taught me these things. I pray that you help me tonight uh, to Lord, relay your message uh, to your people. And Father, I pray that if there's someone watching tonight that does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that tonight they would make a decision to receive you in their life. Lord, you help each one of us. Speak to us now. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. As you come to the portion of scripture that we're in this evening, we're actually entering into the last few months of the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has already been traveling around preaching the word of God and, and uh, preaching and working miracles for over two years. Uh, by this time, Jesus has already fed the multitudes uh, with a few loaves and a few, uh, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He did that on a couple of different occasions, and uh, Jesus has already calmed storms. He's walked on water. Most recently, he's actually been teaching to the disciples that uh, he would be uh, going and, and going to the cross and dying and giving a sacrifice of his life. And even though they weren't understanding it yet, hadn't put everything together, we know that he had been teaching this. And most recently, though, as you come to Matthew 17, it's actually the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That would be the first part of, uh, of Matthew 17, and it's where Jesus would go up with Peter, James, and John, and then would have that conversation uh, with Moses and Elias talking with him. And as you look at everything taking place, Jesus was up there and kind of a spiritual high, if you will, for Peter, James, and John, and being there in that moment. And the Bible says, uh, of course, they said, hey, we should build a tabernacles or tents, tributes to Moses and Elias here. And the Bible says that Jesus, uh, he, he uh, spoke to them. And then when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And, and then Jesus charged them not to tell anybody everything that was taking place, what they had seen. And, and so when you come to Matthew 17, verse 14, we're actually finding Jesus coming down, coming back with James uh, Peter, James, and John, coming back to the crowd. And as Jesus makes their way down, they make their way off the Mount of Transfiguration, we discover a few things. I want you to notice, first of all, tonight, we discover what I'm calling the incurable. 
the incurable. As you look at verse 14 and verse number 15, we read this. And when they were come to the multitudes that have descended now from the Mount of Transfiguration, there came unto him, to Jesus, a certain man. Doesn't give us a name, doesn't give us who he was. It just gives us his scenario. The man comes, he's kneeling down to him, and he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he's a lunatic and sore vexed, and oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often into the water. Lord, I have my son, and uh, he's demon-possessed, and most likely demon-possessed. He's a lunatic, he's going crazy, and and, uh, maybe he was just handicapped. We don't know everything going on, but in this situation, we can discover that the father, he has this sense of urgency and this sense of need, and and, and my son's sick, and I, I can't fix it, and he's at this point of desperation and uh he's at this point of of uh um, he was at this point of hopelessness and i know that there's been times in my life you know i I can remember when dennis little dennis was just just a newborn he's probably just a month old and and he got a fever and man at that time you know of course this is 14 years 13 years ago he'll be 14 this weekend and I remember uh, having him, and I was just so worried about him, and that fever, you know, I had a fever for an hour, and then an hour and a half, and two hours, and I remember uh, calling a nurse at our church in the time, and asking her, how do I help get the, the fever down, is he okay, you know, and man, I was, I was frantic over just a fever, and I, I can't imagine how this father is feeling at this time. I mean, you think about it, he's at this point of desperation, this point of hopelessness, and Really, that phrase, uh, the word hopeless, uh, that the word of hopeless would be something that would describe many people in that first century. Actually, historians tell us that they've discovered many uh, um, uh, epitaphs from uh, people who were buried during that first century. And many of those epitaphs read in, in Latin or Greek, they read an inscription that just simply says, no hope. And uh, you can look back at that and, and discover that, man, a lot of those people at that time were a place of no hope, but especially this man. He's in a place of no hope. He's in this, in this place where he is has a problem, but he sees it as incurable. He can't do anything about it. And I know I've used this thought before, but no doubt we've all been there. We've all had situations and circumstances where we see it as incurable, that we can't do anything with that situation, that scenario. And I think about a number of years ago, I've told you the story, but a number of years ago uh, with our kids, they had totally trashed the basement. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a wreck, you know, and and we went down and we'd been playing some games with folks and went down and man, the basement was just trashed. And I said, all right, you guys can go to bed tonight because it was late. I said, but tomorrow morning, you're cleaning this mess up. And I remember, uh, man, the next morning, all right, guys, get to work. Get to work on, the, on cleaning the basement. They were standing there, and they were looking around, and they just, I remember, I think it was Dennis. He said, Dad, we can't do that. And Lena, yeah, Lena says, yeah, we, we can't clean this. And, of course, Micah, he was just real, I think he was probably only two or three at the time. He just, yeah, this is too much to clean, you know. We can't, we can't clean this. Man, they looked at that situation and thought, there's no way that we can do this. You know what? I think in bringing that to our circumstances and our lives, and sometimes we have a task in front of us that we look at it as almost impossible. We look at it as uh, one that it's incurable. There's no, there's no rational cure to this. There's no way that this thing can be accomplished. And I want us to know tonight that we all have times like that. And we have times, you think about it, when we look at 
Maybe a faith step that God is asking us to take, and we think, I can't take that. Maybe it's a witnessing opportunity. I, I can't speak to them about the Lord. Or uh, maybe we look at, at a, a circumstance in our marriage, and, well, this is just, this This can't be fixed, you know? Or we look at the maybe a financial struggle or an addiction or problems in the home. Or uh, we, we might even be able to, we might, you know what, we might look at our culture and look at our culture and say, man, things are too far gone. Look at the... Look at the hopelessness in politics, or look at uh, the crime rate, or look at uh, the the different different uh, maybe abortions, or the different uh, crowds out there. Look at this group and these voices, and and we can look at so much, and we can be at the point of this father, and at the point of even some of the disciples in this passage, looking at the situation and saying that is incur- incurable, that cannot be accomplished, that cannot happen, and. Tonight, I want us to see that we look at this and we find the incurable. But I want you to notice, secondly, with me, we also see the inadequate. We see the inadequate. Notice verse number 16. It says, I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. This is the man still speaking to Jesus. He's saying, hey, I have this incurable son, this situation, and I can't do anything, and and, and here I hear about you, and so I brought my son to your disciples. But they couldn't do it. You have this father. He has a situation. He's heard about Jesus. Maybe he had met the, I've got some thoughts here. Maybe he had met the cousin of the maniac of Gadara. You know, maybe he had met that cousin and heard the story. Or perhaps he had met a man, the man with the withered hand from Matthew 12. Or maybe the lepers from Matthew 8. Or, or the man with palsy in chapter number 9. We don't know how this man heard about Jesus and about his message and about the miracles that he performs. But we know that this man uh, put some faith in in Jesus and some faith in the disciples. And this man, no doubt, just comes to him and says, "Uh, I brought my son uh, to your disciples. And I can see him maybe coming to the disciples. We rewind a few hours earlier. Maybe he comes and and he says to them, hey, you guys are followers of Jesus. You're followers of him. I know that you have answers for me. You're supposed to have help for me. And so cure my son. Well, the scripture would lead us to the to believe that they tried and they couldn't do anything. It would lead us to believe that maybe they had been together for some time and he brings the boy to these quote-unquote men of God or followers of Jesus and nothing happens. They couldn't do a thing. They failed to help. They were completely inadequate. They had attempted, but they were unsuccessful. I think the disciples in this moment, I think they wanted to do the right thing, but they didn't know the right way to do it. And here they stand helpless. They stand inadequate. They stand unable to be of assistance. No doubt we've been there where you're looking at a situation And we feel inadequate. We feel helpless. The story is told uh, from 1999, a golfer by the name of Payne Stewart, uh, his jet crashed and and some folks died that day. And the story is told, though, that when air air traffic controllers could not get a hold of him, couldn't communicate, not him, but the pilots, but they couldn't communicate with the pilots that they sent up two Air Force jets to investigate because these this plane was still flying, but no one was responding. As those jets pulled alongside 
this private jet, this private uh, aircraft. They could see in the cockpit, but no one was moving. They could see that there were people in there, but no one was, was conscious. The windows were all fogged up, and it appeared, one man says, that somehow the cabin had lost pressure, allowing cold air from the stratosphere to come in and causing people to pass out. Well, after a few minutes, of course, that plane began to run out, run out of fuel. After a while, that plane began to run out of fuel and began to plunge to the earth beneath. And one of the pilots who flew alongside of that aircraft, he said this. He said, it's a very helpless feeling to pull alongside another aircraft and realize the people inside that aircraft potentially are unconscious or in some way are incapacitated. And there's nothing I can do physically from my aircraft, even though I'm 50 to 100 feet away. There's nothing I can do to help them at all. And you talk about feeling inadequate. I look at this thought, this helplessness of this, uh, of this pilot. Man, I can't help but look in Matthew 17, verse 14 through 21 and see the disciples there. And they're looking at this man, they're looking at this situation, they're looking at this boy, they want to help, but they couldn't do anything. They needed, they saw what needed to be done, but they were inadequate and helpless. I wonder why, though. Why were they so ineffective? I mean, if you're, after all, if you look at it, Luke 9 tells us that he called his 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all devils and cure diseases. Luke 9, 6, they depart and they go through towns preaching the gospel and healing. Luke 9, 10, they return to him and they're glorifying God and, and they tell Jesus everything that was done. So they've been given this power. They, they, they knew that God had empowered them for this. They had just got back from seeing God do a great work. They had just been involved in healing people and seeing uh, the demon-possessed deliver at this high spiritual experience, and yet they couldn't help. Why? I believe, and we'll see it in just a moment, that while they were trying to do the right thing, they were doing it the wrong way, they were trying to accomplish the task on their own strength, with their own power. There was no dependence upon the Lord. There was no seeking Him in this. And what I want us to look at for the next few moments, we see the incurable. We see the inadequate, but I want you to see thirdly tonight with me what we're calling the instruction. I want us to notice the instruction. As Jesus comes down and He's approached with this situation, the Bible says that Jesus answers the guy, the, the, the disciples. If we were to go, you have this man with a major problem. I mean, we look at this, this man with a major problem coming, the disciples can't help. Jesus comes on the scene, and he heals the boy. That's what the Bible tells us. I mean, you look, Jesus uh, heals the boy. Verse number 18, Jesus rebuked the devil and departed, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. He rebukes the devil. So this demon-possessed child is now set free. But then the Bible tells us that it would be almost the scene where 
Jesus and his disciples are now set apart. It's just, you know, after everything gone, verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart, and they said, why could not we cast them out? Hey, we, hey, we tried, but we failed. Why couldn't we do anything? Everybody's gone. It's just Jesus and the disciples. Why were we helpless? I want you to notice what Jesus says. Verse 21, he tells them it's because of your unbelief or your lack of faith. But I want you to notice verse 22. Because Jesus says this in Matthew 17, 22. He says, how be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Jesus says, hey, your lack of faith is one reason. How be it? Let me tell you, there's, there's really another reason. It's because you would understand that my power can come only through prayer and fasting. So, Pastor, what would be so important about prayer and fasting? I want you to notice first with me that Jesus gives them the instruction of prayer. Well, what is prayer? I'd say prayer represents our dependence upon God. Prayer represents our dependence upon God. You think about this, how often have we approached a situation depending upon our own knowledge, our own understanding? We, like the disciples, we are self-reliant. Uh, we learned about that this morning. And often we don't spend time praying and seeking the Lord, understanding that that shows our dependence upon Him. Not just praying the fluffy little prayers and mealtime prayers and stuff like that, but really praying and seeking God over a situation in an area of life, talking to God about details. I mean, uh, listen, prayer is meant in part to remind us of how dependent we truly are upon God. That's why Jesus said, and they gave the parable, Luke 18, 1, he spake a parable unto them, this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And Luke 18 goes on, Jesus went on to recount and teach to the disciples, hey, listen, prayer is you seeking me. It's you being dependent upon me. I would tell you tonight that one of the greatest things that I believe that Christians need to get back to is the area of real, effectual, fervent prayer. I mean, really seeking God on issues, not just, well, God bless my day, God help me with this, God help me with that kind of, uh, like God is a genie, but no, God, we depend upon you. God, I cannot make it through today unless you step in and work in my life. And God, I can't be a good coworker, a good father, a good a mother. God, I can't be a good son or a good daughter or a good friend. I can't do that unless you step in. God, I'm totally dependent upon you. And that prayer, man, it's my dependence upon God. One man said it this way. He said, there is more that you can do after you pray, but there is nothing you can do until you pray. Well, why? Because it's my dependence upon God. I love this one. The prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Man, prayer is that time of dependence upon God. It's taking the time in my day to realize, Lord, I need you. Here's the disciples trying to heal, and Jesus says, how be it, this kind goeth not out. Hey, listen, there's some things, gentlemen, that you have to understand. You just need my help. 
You just need my help, but really in everything. Man, this kind goeth not out except by prayer and fasting, by dependence upon me. Uh, of course, one of our presidents, Abraham, Le Abraham Lincoln, he was known as a, a good Christian man. God used him in a number of ways. But I love one of his quotes that he gave about this idea of prayer. He said this, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the day. And I'm thankful that we have examples like that in our history that I believe understood a message that God gave. And I hope that you and I would understand that this week. That God, I need, I need dependence upon you. God, I, I understand that it's not me that's going to get me through things. But Lord, help me to turn to prayer. Help me to seek you. We see tonight that Jesus, he tells them, how be it this kind goeth not out except by prayer. And then secondly, by fasting. By fasting. Prayer shows dependence, but I want you to see tonight that fasting, fasting represents our denial of self. Prayer represents dependence. Fasting represents denial. Now we know this, we preach this, but sometimes we fail to live it, and that's the idea of complete surrender, complete self-denial in every area of our life. Too often, we as believers, we do what we want to do. No matter what people say or what we know, we have our mind made up that we're going to uh, we're going to do what we want. Denial, listen, denial is a real part of true discipleship. If you think about it, actually, all three Gospels record for us something about true discipleship and the concept of self-denial being involved in it. As you think what Matthew wrote in Matthew 16, verse 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Matthew recorded it. Mark recorded it. Of course, uh, Mark was influenced by Peter to write the book of Mark. And notice uh, then Peter's uh, thought about it through Mark. When he had called the people uh, unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, or unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him, say it with me, deny himself. But she said that again, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Luke recorded it, Luke 9, 23, he said unto them all, if any man will come under me, come after me, let him, say it again, deny himself. That's right. God said, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And denying self, it is hard to do, but it is blessed by God. It takes self-denial, really, to see the hand of God work in our life. And fasting is a great help in self-denial. It's taking one area of our life and surrendering that area to God, saying, God, I will give this up and deny myself, deny my need in this area, because I realize I need you more than I need this. And can I tell you tonight that fasting is not just in the area of food. While it's definitely the main thing that's talked about much in Scripture, we need to know that fasting is simply practicing self-denial. 
And uh, we do it for the purpose of admitting our need to God. God, I need you more than I need this. And you can fast really from anything that you use, uh, uh, that, that you uh, spend time doing. What do we do? We we don't do that. And instead, we spend time praying. I'll tell you right now, uh, you can fast from anything and you use that time that you would be spending on that thing. You use it to spend time in prayer with God and meeting that need. Uh, we can fast, of course, from food. When you're fasting from food, what do you do? Well, you don't eat your meals. What do you do instead of mealtime? You spend time praying. God, normally I'd be eating right now, but I'm denying myself. I'm admitting my dependence upon you. There's denial and dependence. Uh, you can maybe, uh, you can fast from uh, certain beverages. Uh, you know, I know I'm a big coffee drinker. You know what? I could I could fast from coffee for a day or two days or three days. And God, I'm denying that. And then when I, whenever I think about coffee, man, I really want some coffee. Instead, I start praying. God, I pray that you help me to realize I need you more than I need coffee. I can think you can fast from media. Man, right now, we can do that. Fast from media. You say, well, I, I can't fast. You know that? I'd be fasting from church because that's the only way we're doing this. Uh, you know what? Maybe on a on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday, you say, you know what? Today, I'm not going to be on any of my social media outlets. I'm going to spend that time in prayer. What am I doing? I'm denying something that I want to do. And it's not, it's not a sin. Media is not a sin. I'm not saying, God, I think this is a sin. No, I'm saying, God, this is something that's important to me. I'm putting it aside. Self-denial, and I'm bringing myself back to dependence. And so I want you to see, we can do that food, beverage, media, television, watching movies. Man, I'm not going to watch the, I'm not going to watch a movie today. Instead, I'm going to spend time in prayer uh, today. Maybe, maybe your hobby is writing or reading, um, or you have another hobby that you like to do. You know what you can do? You can fast from that for a day or two days. You deny that. And, and when you think about it, no, bring, bring, it brings my mind back to dependence. God, I'm really thinking about reading that book. I love reading. Nope, I'm going to put that to the side. I'm going to invest that time in prayer. What am I doing? I'm practicing denial and dependence, fasting and prayer. You know what? Many believers today, we have to understand that we often, we, we, try, to, we try to do the right things, but sometimes we're doing it the wrong way. And there's some things in our life, and really I believe there's a lot of things, probably more than we realize that we need to involve more prayer and more fasting in our life. One man said it this way. He said, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, and confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Man, prayer shows dependence. And fasting, it's about denial. I want to encourage you tonight, church family. I want to encourage us to make the decision to be steadfast in prayer and fasting. Because the truth is, every one of us, we are inadequate to solve our problems. We are incapable of fixing any situation in our life. No, we need him. That's then when that faith part sets in. God, I'm depending upon you. I'm denying myself. And I trust that you are able. 
We need him in prayer and fasting that helps us understand that denial and that dependence. And can I tell you, we cannot see God really working when we do things in our own power. And so I want to ask you tonight to be steadfast in prayer and fasting. And specifically tonight, I want to challenge you, and really I'm going to challenge our church to this. And I talked about it three weeks ago. We were having service, and I mentioned it was coming up on March 29th, and here we are. I want to challenge you as a church family to accept what I'm giving out as just a seven-day prayer and fasting challenge. Man, seven days of prayer and fasting for our current situation. I want us to spend some time over the next seven days, and you don't have to do all seven of one thing, all seven days without food or seven days without media. Not saying that. Let's just pick maybe five or six, seven things, and every day I'm going to fast. I'm going to, I'm going to deny myself this area and turn that into dependence upon the Lord. And let's go to the Lord in prayer about the coronavirus situation. Let's pray for our president, pray for our leaders. Let's pray uh, for the spread to cease so that we can gather and meet again. Let's pray for our church. Man, praying for our church family. Listen, uh, I know we, we can't share it among everybody, but there's a lot of folks in our church going through just some challenging times right now because of everything going on. And then even aside from it, and we've got folks dealing with health circumstances that aren't coronavirus and people going into surgeries and uh, man, I have a friend just got diagnosed with cancer, not from our church, but another pastor friend just got diagnosed. You know what? There's some current situations that we just want to pray for. I want to pray for our church during this time. I want to encourage you, our church family, let's pray for our property. You know, we're praying that God would continue to bring the funding in for that and help us continue to raise the money for that, but then that the Lord would allow us to be able to purchase that property. We've been praying about that. And let's pray seven days of prayer and fasting uh, for our, our Resurrection Sunday. Man, looking forward to that just two weeks from today, uh, even if we still have to just do Resurrection Sunday online, and that we would have guests and that God would work and, and praying through that prayer list we've been going through on our Thursday nights praying for God to bring revival to our town. Man, what would it, I wonder what God could do if, if we as a church family would just get serious. Seven days of prayer and fasting. God, bring revival to Moses Lake and to Ephrata and to Quincy and to Othello and Royal City, Warhart County. Would you just begin to move in, help people see you and accept you and praying for the lost to come to Christ. And then maybe taking seven days of prayer and fasting to look at your life and just say, God, help this time to draw my heart back to you. God, bring personal revival into my life. Give me some victories over, over this area or that area. God, restore my marriage. God, work. Man, I don't know how, how uh, you need God to work in your life, but God does, and, and you might. And so I want to encourage you. Man, let's have this seven days of prayer and fasting for our current situations. Why? What are we doing? We're saying, God, we deny self, and we are dependent upon you. This week, I just hope that we would admit our dependence upon the Lord. We'd show it by self-denial. So I ask you, will you join me in seven days of being steadfast in prayer and fasting, steadfast in dependence and denial? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.